if you're going to junior church today. So as Tom reads the scripture this morning, and by the way, you know, talk about being on belay. I walk out and there's Shannon holding my robe and all this, and I know you thought it was an incredible transformation, <laughs> but on belay. Thank you for that. Um, these are some of the most familiar words that we have in Scripture. Turn the other cheek. Give him your cloak as well. Go the extra mile. These are things that have defined us on so many levels in some ways. And yet when you pull things out of context, you can kind of make them whatever you want them to be. And I'm not saying that those are bad things. I'm just asking us today whether or not that's accurate. And we'll go into that in the message time. But hear these words and think about what you heard last week if you were here around creating balance beyond dominance and what these words then might mean in the midst of that context. So, Tom? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteousness and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Holy wisdom, holy word. Thank you, God. Just a quick reminder of kind of where we've come, just in case you missed some of the pieces. I want to remind us that in this time of Jesus that there were a number of dominant kinds of authority figures, authority organizations. Rome was certainly one, Herod was certainly one, and the rich were also one. And about 96 to 97 percent of the populations of this time were poor and in some ways were designed to be kept poor. 
And they knew their place, and if they didn't, they would learn very quickly. So in walks this kind of itinerant preacher and begins to preach a different gospel. And where we've come in this gospel study of the gospel of Matthew is now entering into this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. In my class, we're dealing with some of the details around some of that. Today, I I don't want to go there. But if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 5 and take a look again, and let's begin and just look one more time at the Beatitudes. And a reminder that the Beatitudes are never designed for us as individuals. They're not some law or attitude that we are supposed to carry just in our own selves. These are laws designed for a different kind of community. A community moving together, studying together, dwelling together, being together with these seven items as the precepts and foundation for that community. Now look at the words again. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're astounding in their power. But again, designed for community, including us as a church. These are to be the defining elements of us as a church. <clears throat> to recognize our spiritual poverty, to be pure in heart, to be meek with each other, understanding that we are not God to show mercy, to find comfort, to be in that depth of relationship with each other, but it requires trust, it requires risk, and it requires often time. Those are the key elements to this teaching. Everything that follows is dependent on those. And so everything that follows today will be dependent on those. But then Jesus talks about being salt and light. And again, salt being that preservative factor in a time where they didn't have refrigerators. And remember, this is a desert land. And so there was really only one way to preserve, and that was salt. And so they did that as a preservation element. And isn't Jesus saying that we need to preserve these things in the midst of community? But also salt adds flavor. It adds spice. And by the way, we can be spicy in the midst of this, and should be. Otherwise, it's just going to get boring. So let's add a little spice, and I look around the congregation this morning, and by the way, I see paprika and a little garlic, and you know, but but you are a spicy bunch, and we we need to celebrate that, and I will not tell you who I'm referring to in the midst of that. So, uh, but you're a spicy, a spicy bunch. But in the midst of the spiciness is also this incredible light. And if you'll notice, look at this light. It's, and again, they didn't have light bulbs back then, fluorescent or otherwise. Every light was dependent upon this, flame, fire. And not only did the flame bring that kind of illuminating light, but it also brought, on a day like this, warmth. And I hope it's not sacrilegious to do this on altar candles. But I just want you to see that. It brings warmth. In the midst of that community, we are to be lights for each other of illumination and warmth with each other. And then last week, I began to talk about that you've, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament law, but now I tell you, And he begins with murder. And here we are sitting once again in a time 
where teachers were killed because a gun was placed in the inappropriate hands of a youngster. And here we are again. But he says we have to go even deeper than that. We pray for those families and those schools where this has happened again. But he says we need to go deeper than that. If, in fact, we are to form this community of the Beatitudes, what we have to understand is that even our language can be murderous. And I think we've all seen that and, and, and felt that at times. The language of others which is murderous. And it creates this, this kind of hierarchical dominance level where someone is the authority and begins, it says in the, these, this language of racha, which means you are empty-headed, which somehow elevates one person and diminishes another. Or one says, you're a fool, saying, I know what I'm talking about and you're foolish to even think about disagreeing with me. I look at couples looking at each other right now. I am not looking at my wife right now. <laughs> but relationships are built upon equity and equality. Dual respect. Then he talks about adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But then he turns it, yes, bad, murders a relationship, murders a marriage. But then it's about if you then look with lust at another woman, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Women are not property. Even in this time where women were considered property, can you imagine the shock of someone saying women are not property, they are to be seen as equal? It was shocking. And women and children were to be protected no writs of divorce that would just send them onto the street because you have your eye on some other gal. No more equity. No more of this dominance. And then he goes into others, including oaths, where in an oath kind of situation back then, one was in authority, kind of like the banker, and you had to do anything you needed to do to gain access to that. And what he is saying then is, no more of this. Last week I went over and I shook John Selwachter's hand. He said, that's what he is saying, is let your yes be yes and your no be no, and see yourselves as equal partners in life, even in oaths. Then we come to this, to these scriptures, which are phenomenal. And again, there is such a danger when we pull specific things out of context and try and make them mean something else. And I want to come back and we'll use one of my favorite authors, Walter Wink, in the midst of this, of talking about these three elements. And in first service up on the screen, I had a clenched fist and a, and a cloak from this time and a pack. And this time, hey, Reed, come here. In this time... There was, again, a, a situation of community where there were slaves <laughs> and the slave owners, right? And there was common practice here where if a slave owner, someone in dominance, in a dominant authority in a relationship, needed to discipline their slaves, 
what they would do is they would backhand them. And by the way, what I want you to understand is look again at this scripture and the fact that Jesus is dealing in minute detail about these situations. And we miss that. Why in the world would he say, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other? Really, is this, is this your opportunity to be the victim one more time, Reed? No, it's not. If someone strikes, and a slave owner will never use the palm of their hand because if I hit him with the palm of my hand, I could only hit him on this side, and he, that would be considered an equal. They use the back of their hand because there was inequity here. He was not, is not an equal. <coughs> Bam. Even in, even in the, remember the medieval times where they would slap with a glove? They would always slap on the right cheek to challenge an equal to a duel. Always on the right cheek. A slave was slapped on the left. I'm sorry, a slave was slapped on the right cheek, an equal slapped on that one. You have such beautiful cheeks. <laughs> slave, inequity. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, elevate. Turn the other cheek and understand that you are an equal, beloved child of God. Thank you. Round of applause for my brother. <laughs> he doesn't stop there. All well and good. But then you have this situation where, again, I said 96% of the populations of this time were poor. Many of them were homeless. And the housing structures of that time often occupied a full block. And on each street, and the streets were parallel perpendicular with each other to form a square, on each of the streets that surrounded those homes were alcoves with gates, insets with gates on the inside. And I, I want to remind you that, that in this culture, I mean, in the desert place, nights are cold, frigid cold at times. And if you are homeless, you have but two items that you own. One is your underwear. There's no other way to put it. One is your underwear. The other is the cloak that wraps around you. And if you have nowhere to sleep, you're going to try and find some place where there is some shelter. Dorothy knows, I mean, I did, I mean, one of my jobs in Santa Monica as pastor was to work with the homeless. 19,000 homeless in Santa Monica. 19,000 homeless. And if you got up early in the morning, you would either see them sleeping against a tree in the park so that their back could be up against something, at least one part of them would be protected, or they too would sleep in the alcoves of the stores along Santa Monica Boulevard and Wilshire Boulevard, tucked up into these alcoves where they're protected on three sides. That's what they would do. The same here. Here's the difference. Well, it happened in Santa Monica too. If an individual opened their gate and went out to step and tripped over one of the homeless, wrapped up in their cloak, the law said that they could sue them. The person who tripped over them sued the one who was laying in that alcove. And the law said they could sue them for half of what they had. And guess what? They did. 
they sued them for half of what they had. They would literally take them to court and sue them for their cloak. What is Jesus saying? Well, at that point, they've only got one other thing. And by the way, the law also said it is against the law to make someone naked. Against the law. And anyone who would make another human being naked would be held accountable by the law. Now think about this. Dominance, homeless. And Jesus is saying, if they sue you for your cloak, give them their underwear as well. And then where does the light shine of truth or justice? But on the one who would be... What's the, a good word for this? Selfish enough, powerful enough to sue someone for their cloak when they're homeless. Again, we saw it in Santa Monica. These guys have nowhere to go. Many of them are, are just clinically beyond schizophrenia, terrified of everything. And yet, the owners of those places would have them arrested and thrown into a jail cell with a hundred other human beings. And can you imagine what that did for them and to them? What creates equity? What creates a situation where everyone can be seen as a beloved child of God? And remember, this is the gospel where everybody's in. Then we have the mile piece. The mile piece, the law said, because this is a Roman-occupied area that a Roman soldier had every right, given that they were the occupying force, that a Roman soldier had every right to make and force someone from that culture where they had conquered, the conquered peoples, to force them to carry their army backpacks. They were heavy and literally could take anyone off the street. But the law said that they could only make them carry that pack for a mile. Why do you think, other than people want to know how far they went, I mean, this is not the STP, why do you think along the Appian Way they still have mile markers that are sitting in there? What were the purpose of those mile markers? Well, I want to tell you, this is one of the purposes of those mile markers. To allow Roman soldiers the opportunity to carry, to have people carry their packs, but there was a delineation on how far. And by the way, if, in fact, a Roman soldier forced, forced an individual to carry their pack more than a mile, that soldier would be flogged. Why is it that Jesus uses this language? And why is it that we gloss over this language and make it mean something like, you know what? Just turn and be hit again. Somehow that will make you more Christ-like. Or, or go the extra mile even though it may cost you more and dearly. Now, I think as Christian people, we go the extra mile. In my grandmother's version, I think we do that because of who we are and who we follow. 
The problem is that's not what this scripture is saying. What this scripture is doing, like the ones before it and the ones after it, is to say, ours is to create a beloved community of equity. Ours is to create the Beatitudes, a community of those Beatitudes. And those kinds of things, the things that I just mentioned, do not create that community. They destroy that community. So here's the tougher question for us, friends. Where is it that we create dominance, inappropriate dominance, in our lives? I remember in dealing with parenting and, and really traveling the country to look at what is healthy parenting and how often I saw those parents who thought that their role was dominance. Is that really the parental role? Dominance? And how often we've seen children who live their lives in terror and shame because of parents who believe that dominance and even violence are the way to control their children. And please notice that language. The parent's role is course correction. No question. Parent's role is, is discipline and helping children understand the boundaries of life. But lording it over them or getting in their faces is not the way to do it that creates this in what is designed to be a family. Ours is course correction and discipline. And we can argue about what that means. But I want us to look at this from a scriptural perspective and see that Jesus is saying that child who may be experimenting that way or pushing your buttons that way uh, or, or trying to get in your face and establishing their own boundaries doesn't mean that you get violent with them. What about in our jobs? Particularly those who serve in roles as executives. How are you treating those with whom you work? Someone has to lead and someone needs to be in charge. That's not what I'm saying. And I will tell you, I struggle with this as a pastor. I believe our role is to serve. But there comes a point where we also have to lead. And it is that constant struggle with the balance of that. I think what Jesus is saying is we need to be struggling with this. And we need, as Jesus, as the one that we seek to follow, He is the one who needs to do course correction for us on occasion. Who helps us with discipline. But where are those places? Maybe it's with your spouse where there may be inequity and we need to struggle with this or even friendships or other relationships in the neighborhood, wherever it may be. I think of our work with our elderly and Laura knows this. <clears throat> I struggle with what we do in this country uh, all too often is we place our aging parents into nursing homes and then never see them again because we don't want them to be our responsibility. And so we place that responsibility on someone else. Equity. 
and remembering. Honor thy father and mother. Where, where, where are each of us in these relationships that need that reminder that all are beloved children of God? And I praise God every day that we're finally in a time, even in our churches, where our gay and lesbian sisters and brothers can be here in peace. That's my final point. The Beatitudes are our guiding principles in community. And the ultimate, the ultimate goal is peace. A peace that passes understanding. The ultimate goal is to be providing peace for each other here and then taking that peace out there. Peace. Peace. Will you pray with me? God, if there was a scripture that I would have every one of us memorize, it would be the Beatitudes. That we would continually go back to those as that guiding principle of community. And not singular bullets, but in its entirety. That as we look ahead, as we look into the future of Aldersgate, and I absolutely know that this church was built on these kinds of principles, but that we continue to deepen our understanding and more importantly, our practice of these principles. Help us to be bringers of peace. You seek to bring it in each of us, ours, by following these principles as community. Bring it to this church and thus then to the community beyond. Continue to guide us in all of this. All this in Christ's name. Amen.